Hello, and welcome to the premiere episode of Talkin' Games with Kelly and Andrew. I'm Andrew. I'm Kelly. So this is our first episode, Kelly. Are you excited? I'm very excited. It's been uh, a long those, time coming. Yeah, this is, we are reuniting. We used to do a radio show back in the day when we were in college, and now this is coming back together to talk about video games. Yes. So why don't you get us started, Kelly? What, what's new this week? What's in the, the video game news? Well, we have quite a bit to get into. Um, the first thing is something that I can speak on. Um, so Mass Effect Legendary Edition, it came out about uh, a week ago, March, or I'm sorry, May 14th. Um, and the original Mass Effect 3, I remember because I was there for launch. I was on the Bioware forums in 2011 talking about Mass Effect 3. <laughs> Um, trying to get hype for the release. Um, so something big in Mass Effect 3 is there's a romanceable character who covers her face, like, and you never see it. And in the third game, if you romance her, you get to see what her face looks like in, in a small way. It's not really a big part of the game. It's not story changing. It's not life changing. Um, but there were a lot of complaints because the original photo was just like a stock image photoshopped with like glowing eyes. And people were like, what the heck? <laughs> Honestly, I've been playing through it and there haven't really been that many story changes. Mm -hmm. um, I know we kind of talked a little bit about one last week uh, in the first game, but that has been really the only one I've noticed so far. So it's interesting to me that they changed that um, amongst other things that they did not change, which probably would have won them some uh, brownie points for changing but uh, not really the biggest controversy there are other little small things here and there they changed some angles to be some camera angles I should say to be a little less creepy um, but like I said kind That's of a, a nice small way of putting it. right <laughs> I, it's still like impossible to avoid in some instances just based on character design and stuff like that but mm -hmm. um, you know like I said, it was kind of a weird and small change, but it's a, it's a, I'm glad that they did it because it was, it was really lame in the original trilogy. I never romanced her. So I only saw it in like YouTube videos and stuff, but it was really lame. So I'm glad they changed that. Well, yeah. Cause I can see you, you like get attached to this character and you're excited to see what they look like. And then it's just like very clearly a stock image of a human being and it's not made in engine. And it's like, Oh yeah, that's not what I was expecting or hoping for. Exactly. Well, good on them. I mean, if if you have to make small change or if you have to make changes, I'm assuming that those little ones are the easiest and like, you know, it's that's something that they could have knocked out very quickly, but also that made a lot of people happy, I'm sure, especially fans of that character. Mhm. Mm and she's very popular romance option. Uh probably the most popular, well, I don't know the exact statistics, but she is very very popular, so it doesn't surprise me that that was changed right so popping over the pond to the east we got some news from pokemon and nintendo uh supposedly according to some rumors there is going to be a pokemon presents conference in june presumably to talk about some of the upcoming releases so they right now they have the uh the remake of diamond and pearl which i'm not a fan of and then uh, Pokemon Unite, which is a mobile Switch and Switch game. Um, and then potentially some more on Pokemon Legends, the new game coming out early next year. Uh, I think it's interesting. It, 
considering E3 is back this year, it really shows that they that Pokemon wants to be separate from Nintendo in a lot of ways that they're willing to like they're willing to have their own presentation, you know, to keep because they could use the eyes on the Nintendo conference to get more eyes on their games, but I guess with the how big Pokemon is now, they don't even feel the need for that. Yeah, I also think that's interesting and and we'll talk a little bit more um about a later story with another thing leading into E3, but <laughs> I always think that it's interesting that they don't build on the hype of E3. I mean, I guess they are because it's happening before. But it just surprises me that it feels like there's so many eyes on E3 at any at any of the conferences, really. So it's kind of surprising. But, um, you know, I, I, I look forward to watching uh, just because I am very interested in the Diamond and Pearl remakes. I know you said that you don't like them. Um, but you know, those are my favorite Pokemon games. So I'm excited to see more of it and to understand more of why certain choices were made. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. It's like, I'm, I want to be interested because for me that that's my favorite generation as well. Um, I just, I'm not a fan of, of the art style and it, it's a little sad putting, cause it looks very similar to the Link's Awakening remake from 2019, but, um, a less charming version, if you will. Like when you put them side by side, there's clearly like a lot more details in like the character models and the lighting in Link's Awakening, even though it is very chibi. And I think I would enjoy it, but it's just the level of details is so low in a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And I'm probably being like a little overly critical, but like knowing just how many billions of dollars Pokemon rakes in every year, and they can definitely afford to make it look however they want. It just it just disappoints me that they they don't shoot a little higher, you know. Yeah. But the the originals will always be there, and and those kind of games they're like actually timeless, and it's not like difficult to go back like with some other uh, earlier games. Right. Would agree with that. So, um, also going with Nintendo, they announced a new amiibo, a Zelda and Loftwing amiibo, um, in preparation for the Skyward Sword remaster. Um, if you don't know, if you've never played Skyward Sword, there's these things, they're called loft wings. They're like big dodo birds, kind of pelican-esque creatures. And um, they're sort of like companions to, like Link has one, Zelda has one. They're like just companion. They're almost like chocobos, Yeah, right? Yeah, that's like, a very good companion. Well, they can like, fly and chocobos yeah, can. But like but, design and, and the way they... Uh, are towards the characters yeah for sure right just big birds you can ride um and so they're releasing an amiibo with zelda and her loft wing it's very cute um i'm not really a big amiibo collector i actually have zero <laughs> but you know uh andrew i know that you're a big amiibo collector so yes i have a little more than zero i have 60 um, <laughs> definitely have, more than zero i have this one pre-ordered so soon 61 um, I think it's a gorgeous amiibo. I think it's a little more expensive because the average amiibo cost is now 16. That's how much they charge. And this one's 25. But considering it's like two characters on one stand, that makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. um, I think it, like I'm excited to own it because it's beautiful. Um, out of principle, I think it's awful that um, 
the functionality of it. Because for those who don't know, Amiibos are not just cute little figures. They also have a little NFC chip in them, and you can scan them onto your console, and they can do something in different games. Um, in this game, if you scan your Zelda and Loftwing Amiibo, no matter where you are in the world, you get the access to fast travel. Which, um, when it comes to HD remasters, one of the biggest things is like little quality of life improvements. And a lot of people have a lot of negative thoughts on Skyward Sword, which like we'll talk about in a second. But the fact that they're locking like a very helpful quality of life feature behind a very difficult to obtain $25 figure, um, I, I cannot agree with that practice. I think that's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I feel like this whole remaster with Skyward Sword has just been really, I don't want to say disappointing, but it's just been really, like, um, gross to me. Like, they're charging the full 60, right? For yeah, which is more than it cost. It was 50 when it came out on right, the Wii. Right, right. And now they're saying on top of this, to unlock this key feature in the game, you need to have an extra $25 or more, depending on, you know, where you are in the world, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I don't know. I just it feels kind of like predatory and a little bit creepy and a little bit weird. And I just I feel like I don't understand. I mean, I do understand it's about money, but <laughs> it's just like disappointing to see. I guess disappointing is the word I wanted to use. Well, it's very it's just when you look at the contrast between this and like Breath of the Wild, say, which had amiibo functionality in that game, you would scan things and usually it would give you like a chest with some bonus things in it. And then if you scanned the Wolf Link amiibo, which came out for Twilight Princess, um, it would give you a little Wolf Link. It would walk along with you for a little while, which was nice, but it was not game-changing. It was not essential to your progress or to your enjoyment of the game. So it was, it was kind of just like a little bonus. Whereas this feels like an essential feature to making the game more enjoyable and more playable, locked behind a, again, very difficult to find and pretty expensive figure yeah and i feel like it's disappointing too in a sense that i this remaster really could have endeared skyward sword a little bit more in people's eyes because like you said earlier it's not everybody's favorite zelda game um, and i feel like this remaster really had the opportunity to like endear it to people like you know just do away with those awful motion controls and because I think there were a lot of redeeming parts of Skyward Sword. I liked the art style a lot. The mm -hmm. characters were fun. Um, There's just some aspects to it. Like it was really locked in with that motion control and it just made it really not fun to play. Um, and I don't know. I just feel like it, lo it lost the opportunity to, first of all, charge less than $60 for a remaster. <laughs> yeah. With no major game, improvements. With no major improvements. And I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm disappointed and sad because I feel like Skyward Sword HD had the potential to be like a real, you know, oh, you know what? Skyward Sword wasn't that bad. It's actually pretty fun, especially when you play, you know, the remaster. But unfortunately, it, it's, it's got a lot of like high gates to get over. Yeah, they kind of, this could have been a redemption story. And instead, it's just kind of, it's just reiterating Skyward Sword's, uh, position in the zelda franchise and then nintendo's history so yep. it's kind of a disappointment yep so nintendo adjacent is sega uh funny to say that after their long history with each other but 
Their 2021 fiscal year sales are now public. And uh, color me surprised, their best-selling franchise is still Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, which, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the blue blur. Can't even say his name right. I love the blue blur. <laughs> but not because he has good games. Uh, yeah. And in 2021, hearing that his series, which includes this year Sonic and Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games, Team Sonic Racing, Sonic Mania, and Sonic Generations. So yes, that includes the 2011 game. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sold four and a half million units. And looking at Sega's other top games, it's Total War, which I have uh, very little knowledge of, so it's surprising to see it second on this list uh third is football manager you know my my favorite hardcore game <laughs> <laughs> and then uh fourth is persona which makes me a little disappointed because i wish it was a little higher it's just strange seeing persona the series that is revered and i love very much fall so far behind sonic right this has nothing to do with the movie right i mean it's not like people being like oh sonic we love the sonic movie so maybe sonic games aren't actually that bad (laughs) like do you think maybe that had something to do with it It well the thing sonic generations being on this list makes me think yeah maybe that because that is a a 10 year old game now and so it having sales presumably on pc because you can't even purchase it on modern consoles uh Probably there was like a decent number of like older, an older generation of people who liked Sonic back in the day and then maybe took their kids to this movie and then were like, wow, let's play the games too. Because mm-hmm. like, and I guess Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games is like always a surprisingly decent hit every time it comes out. And, you know, maybe because there was no Olympics, this was the Olympics this year. Mario and Sonic were <laughs> the Olympics of 2020. Yeah, it's true. I don't know if they're going to have to put a patch out to correct that, but I I mean, good on Sega. I like Sega has a lot of great franchises and they they own a lot of a lot of IPs that I love. So I want to see them succeed. It's just I'm continually surprised that Sonic, who has floundered many times through the decades, continues to be as big as he is and a cultural icon. Yeah, he just has the staying power. He's a good mascot. Yeah, I mean that movie probably helped. I I loved the movie. I acknowledge that it was it was a little dumb, <laughs> but it was cute, and and Sonic was cute, and I thought Ben Schwartz did a good Sonic, you know. Mm-hmm. So I look forward to the next movie with with Knuckles and Tails and the, hopefully some other characters that we don't yet know about. Yes, Big the Cat. You're so <laughs> I would love to see Jim Carrey talking to a live-action Big the Cat. (laughs) Oh, froggy. (laughs) Um. This this show's canceled. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So moving on from Sega and Sonic and all of his companions in college. (laughs) Um, The Xbox uh, Game Pass May released releases are including red dead online psychonauts uh final fantasy 10 remake outlast 2 
FIFA 2020 or FIFA 21, not 2021. I'm sorry. I'm reading these <laughs> off a list. So I'm like, but I will say the, mo- the thing that I'm most excited about in Game Pass May is no- nothing other than Peggle 2. <laughs> Finally. Audience, I wish you could see the look in Callie's <laughs> eyes. Just so much. They're just shining right now with excitement. <laughs> Finally, us Peggle users, us loyal Peglers. Finally, can play our favorite game for free. Well, for a monthly cost. Terms and conditions of <laughs> uh, But yeah, I feel like that's a pretty solid list. Red Dead I've, Online, I played for like a week. It was really fun. I just, I, I'm continually surprised every month because uh, I purchased an Xbox last calendar year um, for Game Pass specifically. I got a used one because every time I look at what they're adding, it's just. And very rarely removing stuff. It's just a list of quality titles. And the fact that every major Xbox release comes to Game Pass day one. Like, I, I would kill for something like that on PlayStation. Ugh, I know. So, I mean... Us Sony heads, we really we really don't get our just desserts, do we? Yeah. No, we, we pay for everything. <laughs> um, but, I mean... I'm excited. For me personally, the game I will be playing is Psychonauts, because I know that classic game is is well-revered by a lot of people. I've never played it, and I, from what I've seen of the footage, I'm very interested in Psychonauts 2. It looks very, very intriguing. And also it's just seeing like that redemption story of any game that kind of fizzled out and then is making a return in a sequel. I, I'm just excited by that possibility, so I will mm-hmm. be playing that game sometime in the near future. Mm-hmm. So moving on into some more substantial to the greater world news. Warner Bros. Interactive Future is currently uncertain because Discovery acquired Warner Media. Um, there's a lot of implications beyond games that we won't go into because that's not what this podcast is about. But a lot of a lot of big changes could be happening from this. Uh, Warner owns HBO Max. Discovery obviously owns Discovery Plus, so I encourage you to find another podcast that talks about that because my knowledge is limited and also there's a lot to say on that. But Warner does not just own television and film companies, they also own a lot of video game companies. So they make the Batman games, they make Injustice fighting games, um, among many others. And during these acquisitions, a lot of people were asking what's going to happen with those companies. Uh, That happened early last week, but there were no answers until this week. We still do not have definitive answers, so expect us to return to this topic later. Um, But essentially, it's sounding like they're going to be very selective, keep a couple studios, and then probably sell off the rest, which I think personally sounds kind of exciting because, you know... Warner is not exactly the nicest video game publisher. They are very predatory with their microtransactions and stuff. Just look at Shadow of War from a couple years ago, full of microtransactions. Um, So it could be very exciting to see those games and those capable developers in in more generous hands, perhaps, than that of Warner Media. Yeah, I always find it interesting when two, like, really big... Um, 
like media conglomerates, like somebody gets acquired or there's an acquisition of some sort because it's mm-hmm. very it's very much like, okay, like what does this mean now? What is it going to mean in the future? Um, so, I mean, this is kind of how I felt when Microsoft purchased Bethesda, right? I mean, that was crazy. You know, I guess time will tell what's going to happen, but I agree with you. I think it'll be, it, it, it's it's never a bad thing to change management when when the old management was obviously doing something unscrupulous. Yes. And way. I don't, I don't think if it weren't for this acquisition, I do not think there would be any major shakeups with Warner brothers. So this might be what it took for there to be some actual positive change. Uh, so moving on from that, um, I feel like I've, I've used that transition like one too many times now. Um, oh, just got to come up with a fresh new one. I know I have to start brainstorming. So a pic, a photo from the Uncharted movies, movie, period, <laughs> not plural. Um, the, the Uncharted, Uncharted movies, movie. Movies, movie released. And it's, if you don't know who's in the movie, I will tell you right now. Uh, Tom Holland, Spider-Man, <gasps> as we know him, is playing Nathan Drake, a young Nathan Drake. Like, okay. All right, I guess. And then Mark Wahlberg, question mark exclamation point question mark exclamation point is playing sully (laughs) so i have a few thoughts but the most important one being that in this photo sully has no mustache yes and we see sully in the games old and less old (laughs) never never young never Never young. young But he consistently has a mustache. Not a big yes. deal, but you know what? It's breaking my no, heart. No, 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 no. It's a big deal. <laughs> it's breaking my heart. I don't understand. I don't understand why this this movie needs to be made. I, I like Tom Holland, okay? I have no problem with Tom Holland. I think he's a, he's a pretty good actor. I don't understand the casting direction of this movie. I don't understand the reason that this movie is going to exist. <laughs> I don't understand anything. And I think what frustrates me is that People are like, well, it's like a young Nathan Drake. I'm like, guess what? We already got young Nathan Drake. I know it wasn't a whole game, but we got him twice. He was really little, and then he was less little, and then he was, <laughs> and then he was an older man. So it's like, I feel like well, we've really juiced this character for all that we can get. You know what I mean? We we're having all of the lemongrass shots. He has been juiced. <laughs> it's time to put a stop to this, please. The games are already like movies. I don't I don't understand. That's okay, the big thing for me. No, I'm with you on that because like with a lot of video games, I think adaptations are possible. And and lately um, there have been some video game adaptations that prove like there's hope for that medium. And we'll get into that a little more when I talk about Castlevania. But in this case, this Uncharted is basically sold as a cinematic franchise. Like you're playing an Indiana Jones movie and and you yeah, you said it. Nathan Drake's story has been told plenty and completely, and there's a reason that Naughty Dog used Uncharted 4 to bring his story to a close. Mm-hmm. And they even made another Uncharted game after that without him, so like they they clearly do not think that there's anything left in his story. So it is weird that Hollywood's like, huh, bet. Right. Ugh. It, it feels will... new. It's kind of like, <sighs> I think things can work as miniseries. Like, I kind of feel the same about The Last of Us. Yeah. Probably doesn't need to be a miniseries or a show. Um, I love Pedro Pascal, but, like, we don't really need to see Joel and Ellie's story. It kind of is over. 
Yes. So I'm like, I just feel very like, you know, I feel a lot of trepidation with these video game miniseries and movies. I, I don't, I have not seen one that I've been like, oh my God, there's, we can do it, you guys. You know what I mean? Except for like you said, Castlevania. And I feel like Castlevania has such a like expansive lore as a universe yeah. that it works a little bit better. It's also term- very loosely based. It's like the same characters in general plot, but they basically wrote their own story. Right. So it's kind of like, okay, like, I'm not sure that we need to be retelling these stories a thousand times. Oh, no. Nick Drake's going to be a rascal. Oh, we've never <laughs> seen that before. Like, that's the basis of his entire character. He's like a, he's like a more approachable uh, Indiana Jones type. So... I don't know. He's kind of like he's kind of like Lara Croft. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's 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 very pleasant to look at. He's he's quippy. <laughs> he's Are we charming. Tom Holland or Nathan Drake now? Are they both? I mean, you know, that's you know, Tom Holland is you know he's a he's a good looking guy. You know. Uh, anyway. Yeah, that's a good I six. Mean... You knows. I can tell you, you're very <laughs> excited about that question. Uh, I'm just saying. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I just feel a lot of trepidation. I don't know if they're going to pull it off. And I I really do not like Mark Wahlberg. I don't think he's a very good actor. And it takes a certain type of like old man charm to play Sully. And I really don't. I mean, I know he's not old in this movie. It's a prequel, as we've established. But um, he just does, is not charming to me in any way, shape or form. So no. I think it and would he has be, no mustache. He has no mustache, which is the most important thing, as we know. I mean, like, is Tom Selleck busy right now? <laughs> can we get him on the line? Yeah, like, can we just borrow, borrow his mustache at least? Right. right. <laughs> That's all I really need. <laughs> I'll be satisfied. Wow. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that opportunity to move on to the next subject. <laughs> I, th- I think once Tom Selleck's mustache has entered the picture, we may have gotten off track. True. So anyway, in relation to Tom Selleck's mustache, uh, there has been a Final Fantasy spinoff, presumably announced. Uh, and by that, I mean there have been lots of reports that a spinoff is in the works from Team Ninja. Um, so Koei Tecmo, they have Team Ninja in-house. They make um, they made the Ninja Gaiden games, and more recently they made Neo 1 and Neo 2, N-I-O-H Neo. Um which are Souls-like games. So according to this report, it will be a Souls-like game set adjacent or in the Final Fantasy I universe, which is a very underexplored world. Um, It is going to be called Final Fantasy Origin, if this report is correct, and it will be shown off extensively at E3 during the Square Enix conference with a demo or open alpha coming shortly after in mid to late summer i'm surprised by this final fantasy is a is a long running franchise that i love very much it has quite a few spin-offs i would not have guessed a souls like to be the next one i agree i would also not have expected that but once i read the article that you that you sent i was like oh yeah this makes sense because I feel like they, with Final Fantasy fourteen, they're like, oh, we can do this. So now they're kind of like, mm, we might be able to do this too. And then be like, oh, and we then we can do this. I feel like <laughs> there's, the thing about Final Fantasy is there's like so many different types of universes. Yeah. There's like 
cyber futuristic eco punk and then there's like high fantasy and then there's low fantasy and then it's oh we're using coleman cooking and camping products on our road <laughs> trip with the boys it's like it's such a deep universe that i feel like it has a lot of untapped potential especially final final fantasy one i couldn't even tell you what it's about or what the um, universe is like there's crystals um crystals and a okay. fantasy and a fantasy right I think it's and the last one I think and it's the last fantasy. And there's probably some summons, I'm assuming. Some Shiva. Some... Perhaps. Some... Maybe an Ifrit. Yeah, maybe an Ifrit. A, 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 what do they call it? Ba 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 That's the devil, isn't it? What is it? Like, it <laughs> I know what it is. It's Bahamut. Bahamut. That's it. Yeah. I mean, I. you're saying this. I cannot verify. I've not played the original, so perhaps... Bahamut right. is in that one. Right. I, I, oh, I think there's swords. Oh, you know what? You're probably right. There's probably swords. There's definitely... Well, I don't want to say for sure. Things happen in that game. <gasps> That's, so controver That's so controversial. I know. I shouldn't have said that. But in all seriousness, this is, this is a good joke. But it is true that we... That that is a very underexplored, underknown universe in a very popular franchise. So it's a very good idea, I think, to, uh, you know, bring back something as as unknown as the first Final Fantasy. Mm -hmm. And if it is half as good as it sounds, because I'm not the hugest fan of Souls-likes, but I also trust Team Ninja a lot, and I trust Final Fantasy's creative directors these days, I think that could be a really special game and a really interesting an interesting thing that we definitely have not seen before. Right. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So, uh, Nintendo adds four of uh, four games to their classic lineup, quote-unquote. Some SNES games and an S and an NES games. I don't know why people say SNES and then they say NES. <laughs> SNES and NES, but I guess there's some branding confusion with Earthbound. Um, anyway... So for the SNES, they've got Caveman Ninja, which I think is a like a regional title, because otherwise known as Joe and Mac. Yeah, I've uh, know I know Joe and Mac. I did not know that it was also called Caveman Ninja. Yes, I like I said, I I'm thinking that may have been a regional thing, but uh, another one, Magical Drop Two, which used to be only in Japan, uh, and they're joined by. Spanky's Quest, ah, a Natsume game, course. which is interesting because uh, Natsume is kind of doesn't exist anymore in the way that it used to. Um, and then Super Baseball Simulator, uh huh, of course, one point zero zero zero, maybe one thousand. It's a little <laughs> unclear. Um, and then the only NES game is Ninja Jaja Marukun. I have. I'm assuming there's a ninja in the game. Uh, let me read the description. That's all the one that hot, we have. All these hot takes today. I know that's the one that really stuck out to me. Take on the role of a ninja and rescue the captured princess Sakura in this action-packed game, originally released only in Japan. So quite a few of these games were Japan-only releases. Jaja Maru must use his throwing stars. His uh, never mind. <laughs> is throwing stars to defeat lurking monsters i was gonna like try because i used i used to watch a lot of naruto when i was younger so i was gonna try and say 
throwing stars, but like in Japanese, but I'm not going to do that. Um, so keep an <laughs> eye out for the ultimate power up, a ride on Gamapakun, the giant frog. Speaking of Naruto, giant frog. I'm so okay. happy that we're so. we're describing this game so vividly. That's the only one I really cared about. Um, <laughs> uh, the other ones looked kind of, I mean, they're all the same. It's like, let's go find the girl and we'll save her. Except yeah. for Super Baseball Simulator, which, you know, there's no girl to save. No. As far as I know. Just homes to run. Just homes to run. And that's it. That's what they're releasing for their classics lineup. <sighs> if you're into that kind of stuff, I'm, I'm not. Gonna I'm going to share my hot take on this. Mm-hmm. It's a bad lineup. It's, <laughs> it's not great. I mean... I feel like all of the classics that we know and love have already been out, though. Am I right? Or am I wrong? Well, we're missing, like, a few ones. Namely, Earthbound is it's just Ugh. a giant exclusion that, like... Don't even say it. I can't even talk about Earthbound. It's just... I There's definitely a lot of classic SNES games. Uh, I'm not as big on NES because those games feel much, much more dated. But, like, Nintendo's got bank. Pay, pay some developers. Pay Square. Pay uh, Konami or Capcom to get some classic games from them. To put on this platform because like as it stands they're putting out like little games that either nobody's ever heard of or just nobody cares to play except of course ninja jaja maru <laughs> kun. which kun sorry ninja jaja maru kun yes correct okay correct. i got it that's i'm impressed with myself because i don't have the list <laughs> in front of me right now but it just it's just such a wasted platform and like it doesn't cost a lot it is $20 a year if you're paying for a single plan and 35 for a family plan. So I am on a family plan. I pay $4 a year for this. I'm not upset that like I'm not getting the value. I just think it's a real waste of potential. And the fact that they haven't brought N64 to this in any capacity, it just it just has really fallen to the wayside, I think. Yeah, I think you made a good point too. I mean, I know I said I couldn't talk about Earthbound, but I love Earthbound. Um, I cannot believe that that game has not been. It just doesn't make sense to me. Why have him as a Smash character? Why have Lucas as a Smash character when these games are clearly not getting anything? They're yeah. not going to get anything from Nintendo. Yeah. So I don't really understand. Um, I don't know. It just blows my mind. You're right. I. It's kind of a. I don't want to say a scam, but it's kind of like. Can you guys like do more Nintendo? Poke, poke, poke. Do something. Poke, poke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe in maybe in June at E three time they'll announce something exciting. But as it stands, I kind of have minimal hope for their classics line. Yeah. Um, in other news that I personally do not find exciting, Devolver <laughs> Digital is reportedly going to go public soon. Um, so for those who don't know, Devolver, Devolver Digital is the biggest indie publisher on the scene. Um, they publish countless games every year. Probably not countless, considering it's probably like 50, which you, most people can count to 50. But <laughs> they're releasing several games basically every single month. They're enabling a lot of developers to show off their stuff. It's I think it's an excellent company. They have a great business model. Um but they're an independent company. The whole thing is that they are an independent company and they are here to support independent companies, make their games, put them out there. And then 
if a game's made or released by Devolver, I feel like I'm much more likely to hear about it. Games I wouldn't have otherwise because the indie scene is so overly packed. So it, it lo- allows a lot of people to shine. But the second that they go public, which reportedly they're going public for about a billion dollars, which really proves that they are successful. Yeah. Um, I just don't like the idea that they have to start answering to shareholders, you know, that they're no longer a true, like, they're no longer the indie powerhouse. They are now a public company that helps indie developers. Yeah, this was quite shocking to me. I I remember when Devolver Digital, because didn't they publish Hotline Miami? Yeah. That was like the thing, you know, that's all I knew them for way back in the day. And I remember they're like crazy E3 presentations where people would be like bleeding out of their brains and stuff. It was like, <laughs> whoa, this company's crazy. And then I feel like with Fall Guys, it was just like, surprise. Oh, you thought we were an indie company? Psych, we're billionaires. We make so much <laughs> money, we don't even know what to do with it. So everybody can buy a little stock in us. Yeah. So I don't know, kind of disappointing, but not all that surprising when you actually think about it, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, people who run companies want to make money, so I guess it's not the most surprising. Just disappointing that the indie company is no longer, if this is true, which it is reported, but it could end up not being true, it's just a little disappointing that they're not going to be as indie anymore. Yeah. Agreed. Let's let's change gears here. Uh, let's. Was that uh, a pun? That was a, a kind of a pun. Was that a pun? Let's use a wrench, a giant wrench, and and have big ears. And oh. I think I'm extending this a little farther oh. than it should have yeah. been to yeah. talk about Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. Um, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart is coming out next month. It is uh, one of the first truly big PS5 exclusives and sequel to the beloved Ratchet and Clank franchise. Um, there's going to be a lot to say about that come June 11th. Uh, the episode that will come after that, uh, there will be lots to talk about. Um, yeah, I'm we'll wearing... have an E3 Bonanza blowout. Oh my goodness. The thought of having an E3 conference blowout and a new Ratchet and Clank to talk about. Boy, oh boy. Stay <laughs> tuned in. Anyway, <laughs> so Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, uh, they announced a list of accessibility features. I am not going to go through this entire thing because it is literally three pages long. Um which is remarkable. It's great. Um, So for those who don't know, modern game developers are really trying to integrate a lot of accessibility features. This is stuff like changing certain buttons to toggles so you don't have to mash buttons, um, reducing difficulty to a point where even if you you have some kind of disability that prevents you from enjoying a game fully, it becomes way more manageable. There's a lot of like aim assist mode so that you don't have to worry about shooting or like uh, locking on to enemies and such um, and then there's a lot of things with color blindness or like epilepsy just basically allowing anybody who wants to play to play regardless of any disability or anything that's preventing you from doing so um, which I feel like this should all be a given but it's not so it's exciting to see it like a lot of games don't even allow you to choose subtitle size you know Mm-hmm. And then this game is coming in and bringing tons of things to allow people to like remap controllers, change every setting, make sure they can enjoy it as fully as they want to. I I 
I agree. And I thought it was really cool how if you read the list, it's like there's not really like a colorblind quote unquote setting, but it's like so customizable that for any type of colorblindness that you mm-hmm. might experience, whether that be like red, green or, or, you know, any other colorblindness, you can kind of customize it to a point where you kind of make your own. Um, yeah. And I thought that was really cool. Um, I know that The Last of Us Part 2 was really big on the accessibility front. Yeah, very um, extensive. So it's always a good thing when this type of stuff becomes more popularized. And I know that there's like an award for it now at the Game Awards, which is kind of cool. And I hope that that is something that developers take more seriously because it's like it's 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 not it's not right that in 2021 people can't enjoy the games that they want to play just because of something as silly as like the developers didn't add a a subtitle size option like you said yeah not that it's silly but you know what i mean like it's silly that the developers wouldn't add that yeah it's low effort it's not like some giant investment that they can't afford to make you can afford to add a slider to make your text bigger right at the at the very least right so I don't have a good train. I don't have a good transition. <laughs> I was like trying something and then I was like, no, it's going to sound stupid. Anyway, so the PlayStation 5 is estimated to have sold twice as much as the Series X in 2021 so far, which is really wild to me because last week we just had that conversation about the uh, short, the PS5 shortage going on mm-hmm. right now because of the like sup- the what do they call the like the supercomputer parts. Yeah. But apparently that has not stopped the train and the train keeps chugging and it and it arcs towards Sony. So I'm done with the, the tradition, but I really right. like all of the train stuff. Thank you. I know I, I was struck with inspiration, like my much like someone may be struck by a train. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say we could use that as a transition into the next thing. <gasps> But we're also not done talking about this, so it'd be kind of preemptive, I would right, say. Right, right. <laughs> but I think in the article it was saying that uh, Switches still have sold the most out of all. That makes sense, because they're not having as much difficulty keeping up with, you know, actually putting them on the shelves. So Yeah, I do remember there was a Switch shortage, like, last year around the beginning of the pandemic, but that was, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Extenuating circumstance. Right. Everyone was buying it all at the same time. So Yeah, and there was no way they could have seen that coming, so. Right. Um I mean it's it's not super surprising. PlayStation always has better starts than Xbox, except for the three sixty era. Um both of them have legs, both of them will keep selling, and they're not really competitors anymore, you know? Yeah. But twice as many is what's really surprising me like that's a not insubstantial number yeah uh so shall we use this transition into the next subject (laughs) yes let's (laughs) see i brought it back all right so now we're moving on to e3 time it has been announced that summer games fest will be returning this year so for those who don't know summer games fest was a essentially e3 replacement last year it was a one-day big show and then a bunch of other smaller like developer showcases after that to talk about the games that were revealed. It was bad. Uh, <laughs> there, was, there was very Sorry. little shown off. 
<laughs> it felt quite tossed together. Um, it's a Jeff Keighley production, who is the host of Game <laughs> Awards. A Jeff Keighley original. <laughs> with his with his athletic shoes and his blazers and his jeans. Goodness, what a man. Let's get him on. Let's call him up and get him as a guest. Mr. Keighley, please, we're begging you. <laughs> well, I'm not quite begging. I'm not. Oh, yeah, me, yeah, me neither. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't either. Just doing it for the jokes, folks. <laughs> anyway, so Jeff Keighley said that we will be returning this year with more than a dozen reveals. Which, if you say that with a good spin, it's like, wow, a dozen? But then, like, <laughs> you look at every E3 time, and it's like, wait, aren't there, like, a hundred game really reveals? Is yeah. a dozen, re- like, more than twelve? It's like, oh, Okay. Um, right. But we have a lot of big names that are going to be there. Uh, 2K, EA, Epic Games, <laughs> PlayStation, Sega, Square Enix. The thing is, is a lot of these a lot of these developers could just be showing one commercial for a game that might not even be like news. It might be an old commercial. And then they are included on this list of partners who will be there. So I'm always weary when I see like PlayStation on this or like square enix i'm like okay but like are they actually going to show anything yeah i kind of have a feeling it's going to be kind of what you're saying it's just a lot of commercials maybe stuff we've already seen nothing as extensive as what we would see at like an e3 conference i can barely remember last year's i i i think there was everything i do is like frame of reference from dragon age so i think there was like a commer- like a developer diary for Dragon Age 4, and I just remember that being the most exciting thing. Yeah. Maybe that's my own personal preference, but it's a lot of like little like cheeky stuff like that. Yeah, it's not something... You don't tune in for like wild reveals, but... Yeah. What really surprises me about it is that it's taking place on Thursday, June 10th, um, which really feels like Jeff Keighley's taking a very direct shot at E3, which starts on Saturday, June 12th two days later yeah i understand jeff Keeley's desire to overthrow e3 <laughs> but the name recognition behind e3 will just it's just insurmountable i don't think he can do it but at the same time i like video game reveals so if we get good reveals from this and e3 oh well both can exist yeah I'm down for both. So we'll know in a couple weeks. Three weeks, correct? That's Uh, insane. Yeah, three weeks. Three weeks we will know what they have in store. Both E3 and Mr. Keeley. Mr. Keeley. Can we just call it the Keeley Show? Can we just call Summer Games Fest the the Keeley Hour? Yeah. The the power, the the Keeley Power Hour? Yeah, yeah. Even though his shows are usually like three hours and contain 40 (laughs) minutes of content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's have a live reaction where we are just silent the entire time. I think I would like that. (laughs) Just really, like, let it soak in. Yeah, that sounds tremendous. (laughs) Would you like to tell of the next story related to E3? Yes. So, in something that maybe is surprising to some, but maybe not surprising to others, E3 at E3, Microsoft and Bethesda will be in the same conference. They're like just going to be one big one. 
one big hefty chonkin conference hefty chonkin conference so we'll see i'm not i was not surprised at this news because i don't really feel like anytime bethesda because i remember they had their first conference a few years ago anytime they have their own conference i just feel like it's like you guys are you sure you're gonna fill all this time with stuff (laughs) are you positive you have enough stuff to fill this whole time and it's like no it's like oh we're gonna show you Fallout 76, we're going to apologize for Fallout 76, and then we're going to show you uh, Elder Scrolls Blades for like 10 minutes. There's going to be about those logo reveals, though. Right. We're going to show you our logo reveal. Hey, you guys remember Doom? And then (laughs) it's like, here's uh, some DLC if you're interested in a game that you don't care about. And then the show's over, and it's like, that's Bethesda's shows. Um, So we'll see this year what it's going to be like. I think it'll it makes sense for them to be with Microsoft because I feel like Microsoft might not have as much this year and Bethesda might have a little bit more. I don't really know. Elder Scrolls Six, hello, Elder Scrolls Six. Uh, <laughs> anybody gonna pick up the phone? I'm kind of kind of waiting on that one that we saw in 2017 or whatever that was. Like 2004, 2002, <laughs> 1923. 19... Yeah, 1900, when, you know, it was like pre-Titanic days. Yeah, Titanic. The (laughs) ultimate reference point for Elder Scrolls release dates. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I heard 1900s and I thought of the Titanic. Uh, I'm excited about this news, though, because I I agree with you. Bethesda's had some very uh, lackluster, to be generous, conferences over the past few years. Stinkers. Stinkers. They, They smelled... (laughs) <laughs> smell <laughs> the smell came <laughs> off of the television um yeah but uh the idea that they they take their best foot and put it forward in a microsoft conference we kind of talked about this last week like uh the best reveals at bethesda conferences are great but they're absolutely bogged down by like literal hours of nothing <laughs> and microsoft shows are usually pretty packed and great especially the past like three or four years um so the idea of taking those best reveals and then just putting them into an already great show, it could be like, they could really do something excellent as long as they're not like, this is a joint conference. And then it's an hour of Bethesda meandering around, not knowing how to move. And then Microsoft, that would be way too much. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. guess we'll see in a few weeks. All right. So I think it's about time this week that we jump into what we've been playing. And I want to start with something I have not played. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, a couple weeks ago, we had the release of Castlevania Season 4, which is an adaptation of the classic Konami franchise Castlevania. This is the fourth and final season. It started in 2017. Um, I've been watching it since it came out. It, in my opinion, is one of, if not the best, video game adaptation ever put to film, which competition's not exactly stiff but <laughs> we'll see if mark Wahlberg's mustacheless face can knock that out but mm. doubtful <laughs> doubtful but uh i i really loved season four it it brought a lot of very interesting storylines to a close it was super satisfying it left just a, enough unanswered to to keep me wondering but not like feel like they withheld stuff um the series is is going to continue in some fashion. There's a spin-off already confirmed. And after watching this, I cannot tell you what that spin-off will be about. 
there are so many things that could be so many interesting characters that still exist or it could honestly be set in like the far future and just have alucard you know because he he lives a really long time so he's mr vampire man right the action was fantastic um the thing about this season was that they spent four four seasons building up all these characters that I've come to love and and watching some of them clash and watching their stories come to an end. It makes that remarkably choreographed and animated action extra satisfying because I care about both sides of the fight so much and I'm so invested on what happens. And there was not a moment that left me unsatisfied. So if you've not watched this series or if you perhaps dropped out after the first a little bit lackluster season, I highly recommend getting back in now. Season two gets very good. Season three is one of the best seasons of TV, in my opinion. And then season four really brought the series to a satisfying close. So I watched that this week. I guess I played it in the sense that I clicked next episode every 20 or 30 (laughs) minutes. What a video game. What a game. How about you, Kelly? What have you been actually playing? Yes, so I have um, still been playing Mass Effect Legendary Edition. Didn't have a lot of time last week because things were a little bit crazy, but I hunkered down uh, at the end of last week and this weekend, and I just played and played and played. I finished the first game. Crazy thing, didn't realize you could not do the DLC after. There's no like end game. Oh, um, that's the last Yeah, the last save point is right before the final boss battle, so not my favorite thought maybe that would change and i did not realize that so there's a dlc that i have not played i did play it way back in the day when it came out well not 2007 but played it back in like 2012 so but um and now i'm on to mass effect 2 i'm a good ways in maybe like 20 hours i want to say okay um i've played mass effect 2 so many times it was the first mass effect game i played it's a, it has a very special place in my heart. I love everything about that game, even the stuff that other people don't like. So it's been really nice to see it. I, I would say with the remaster, I haven't noticed anything super different. Obviously, the frame rate is a lot better and the textures look a lot better. Um, but, you know, it's the bones, much like Mass Effect 1, the bones of the game are still the same. Um, combat's still fun. Not as fun as like 3 or and definitely not as fun as Andromeda, but um, it's still fun. Fun, more fun than the first game, which combat is still a little bit clunky, even with the remaster. Better, but you know, there's only so much that you can do. Would you say if somebody is brand new to the series and they're getting the Legendary Edition, um, that they should play one? Or because I know yeah. that they have like a comic book choice yeah. selection opening. Is it yeah. better to do that or to just just go through it and play one, even with you, the dated gameplay? You should really play one. I think that it sets up. It sets up the story in a way that that you don't really get as much in Mass Effect 2 because the story in Mass Effect 2 is kind of a diversion from like the main. So the main antagonist is like the Reapers. And while they are the antagonist in 2, it is sort of a a diversion from that story from the first. Uh Um, And I really think that it's important, speaking as someone who skipped the first game the very first time that they played, I think it's really important to have that context from the first game. And there are really, really nice story beats in the first game, but I feel like just are such a pleasure to play through and, and enjoy that I wouldn't I wouldn't advise anyone to skip it even if that comic is like you know you make all your choices through the comic uh, I would still just play the first game because 
you know, even if it's dated, it's still fun to play. Uh, you actually meet the characters. There are characters that you're not going to feel attached to unless you meet them in the first game. Um, one in particular that I'm thinking of, his name is Rex. And yeah. I felt like I didn't really care about Rex that much when I very first played Mass Effect because I was like, I started with two and I was like, who is this guy? Um, but when you play the first game, you learn more about him and why he is the way he is and why he's doing what he's doing. So it's just important for character context, for story context. And it's it provides stuff that I think the comic maybe glossed over a little bit too in terms of lore. Well, I because I, I hear what you're saying because in my opinion, and tell me if you agree or disagree, Mass Effect was heavily marketed on decision making and like how important your choices were. It was it was fine, and I enjoyed that part. But honestly, for me, my favorite parts of the franchise was just like spending time with those characters over the course mm -hmm. of many games. And honestly, I cannot tell you most of the decisions I made, but I can recall my relationships that I had with those characters years on still. Yes, and that's really a staple, I think, for any Bioware game is the characters really are the saving grace not saying that the games need a saving grace they're they're all very good games i think i know people have their qualms with the end of the third mass effect and a lot of people didn't really like inquisition that much dragon age inquisition that much because it was very much mmo rpg-esque in its yeah. open worldness but the characters of those games are are written in a way that is especially in mass effect 3 because in the dragon age series another you know the other big bioware property you have different companions each game with a little bit of of overlap between two and three um, and the expansion for one and two. But with Mass Effect, you pretty much have the same characters following you throughout the entire series, including your main character, which is, I think, why people are very, very attached to Commander Shepard is because you spend hundreds of hours with them. Mm -hmm. But so it's a lot easier to become more engrossed in the characters and their storylines. And they, especially around the third game, I would say maybe like the second game, because the second game is so character focused. Cause you're like recruit loyalty mission, recruit loyalty mission. Like it's really all about your crew. Mm -hmm. um, but especially in the third game, they really do start to feel like real people. The way that they interact with each other, the way that they interact, sorry, my mic just, the way that they interact with each other, the way that they interact with you, the player, it's very much like, wow, I, you know, you really come to care for these characters. And I'm with you on like the choices. I can make a different choice over a playthrough about what I'm going to do on Vermeer or whatever. But I can't make a different choice with I, I'm never not recruiting these characters. They're always coming on my ship with me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so I would highly recommend starting with the first game and not skipping it especially with the legendary edition i mean the textures are better the, <laughs> the the this the 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 frame rate is better it's like it's it's nice to look at they did yeah. a really good job remastering it in terms of appearance and aesthetic so you know in my opinion you really have no reason to skip the first one the gameplay is not that bad yeah and i mean you could probably just turn down the difficulty and blaze through that game pretty quickly anyway and just Absolutely. enjoy the story yeah, absolutely. And you know what? The difficulty in the Legendary Edition, I feel, has also been uh, lowered. Like, on normal, it feels like playing on easy. Mm. And that seems to be sort of a consensus online. Is, particularly in the first game, things feel a lot easier than they used to. So it's not just because you're an absolute expert pro gamer? <laughs> no. <laughs> I am not. I 
have really bad aim. And Mass Effect is a third-person shooter, so make well, of that I'm, what you will. I'm very excited to hear your continuing thoughts because, I mean, as far as like gameplay and story goes, I'm sure that you have very few new thoughts. So it's very exciting to hear about your specifically your thoughts on like the updates because you've seen the original games so many times that you can probably see those updates more than anybody. Yeah, and you know it's funny. I actually played through Mass Effect last year during quarantine. Uh, I don't know if I said this, but I literally bought like all the DLCs uh, on my Xbox 360 and I played <laughs> through the whole series. And then they were like, surprise, we're remastering the whole trilogy with all the DLC. And I was like, wow, OK, cool. I just spent like more than $60 on all three games in the DLC. But it's cool. Like, it's fine. I'm not mad. Well, you were probably like, darn, I have to play it again. <laughs> oh, I'm going to, oh no, I'm going to make all the same choices that I usually do and romance the same character. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, that was me. <laughs> uh, so talking about something I actually did play this week, I uh, went ahead and stayed up a little later than I should have last night to complete Resident Evil Village on PS5 for this for this episode. Uh, I have quite a few thoughts. Um, so first of all, Kelly, you have not played it, but you have seen the whole thing, correct? Yes. Okay, I will avoid any specific spoilers. Um, if you're sensitive to, like, gameplay mechanic discussion or, like, general discussions of what happens, um, then maybe, uh, maybe I'll see you next week. <laughs> you can tune out now, but... Um, I will not discuss any any directions that the plot goes specifically, just my general thoughts. So um, I, I loved the game. I think it was um, a little flawed in, in areas I was not quite expecting. Um, the opening hours were really, really special, in my opinion, because uh, you start in a large castle. You have to go around different hallways, different rooms to get uh, keys or different objects that you use to solve puzzles and enter new spaces. And I love that Resident Evil style. Um, it reminded me of like the Resident Evil 2 police station, which is like one of my favorite video game locations ever. Mm -hmm. And it just felt nice to be to be unraveling this this location. Um, but that essentially is only the first few hours depending how you play. If you know what you're doing, you could probably get get through it very quickly. And if you don't, and you're exploring for all the, the little things, it will probably take you closer to like five hours. But uh, it was my favorite part of the game. And I, I can, I, I have to say I was a tiny bit disappointed after that. It was still intriguing and I liked what was happening, but uh, it was a lot more action heavy and a lot more linear. Um, and it felt less like I was unraveling a space and more like I was walking down a winding hallway. Mm -hmm. um, and I did not mind going down that hallway because visually that game is stunning, especially on PlayStation 5, 4K, 60 FPS, and uh, ray tracing. Technically, the ray tracing mode is supposed to be 45 frames per second, but they optimized it very well. So it was 60 for the majority of the game, and I only saw a couple hiccups. Um the just every everything visually is very nice the characters look remarkable um and and i enjoyed playing it the gun combat is kind of janky on purpose um you don't have a ton of control over your aim and it's not super accurate and it's hard to shoot quickly but that's so that the monsters coming at you feel way more threatening um mm -hmm. 
by the end of the game, I kind of learned all of the animations because a lot of the a lot of the monsters have similar animations to each other, where they kind of like wobble to the left and then they look at you for just a second and then they wobble to the right. So it's really hard to like get headshots off, which is the best way to take them out. Um, but they but they loop those animations. So once you learn it and generally where your where your reticle should be, it becomes a lot easier to start cleaning up, taking out enemies really quickly which was a huge change because at the beginning of the game, I was running from everybody. And my early impressions when I was talking to you, Kelly, I said how early in the game, the enemies felt scary because they were coming at me in large numbers. And I felt like I couldn't even stop to look at them because I couldn't handle it and I had to run. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the end of the game, basically no matter the size of the crowd, I just took one step back and I felt confident in my ability to take it out. It was still fun for sure because it's a it's a satisfying system they designed, but... Um, it was definitely an action game by the end. It was like, not a horror game, but an action game in a horror setting. Does that Mm. make sense? Yes. Um, and there was one segment, which I assume is what you were referencing last time we talked about it, that was (laughs) very different from the rest of the game. Yes. And and much more horror centric. Yes. Um, Did you enjoy that segment? I did. I wasn't very scared because I knew the mechanics so well by that point that I did not feel threatened by the the threat that I will <laughs> not just des- I won't describe the threat because it is very shocking. And I think <laughs> if you're going to play the game, you will be shocked, even if you're not scared. <laughs> it is shocking. But um, yeah, I was able to flee pretty easily. And like, I knew the layout of the space I was in already. So I wasn't like scared, you know, that I wasn't going to be able to get away. Um, Mm -hmm. it was very Silent Hill-esque, very Mm -hmm. clearly wore their, their inspiration on their sleeve with that, which is not a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, but it it was a short segment in the middle of the game. So it was not like the game took a turn halfway through. It was just like a little hour detour, which I loved. I think that games, more games should do detours, you know, try new things for a small segment of the game. Mm -hmm. Um. And I just listed a lot of negatives, but I want to make it clear. I did love this game. The story was intriguing. The characters were fantastic. They were very ridiculous and over the top in the best way. And I had fun start to finish, and I was satisfied by the end of the story. Um, It's just definitely... um, I think especially with what uh, how high I hold the Resident Evil series um, in regard. That was not a very good sentence, but... I'm just saying <laughs> I hold that series very highly in my head. So I am a little more critical, but I still acknowledge that I loved it very much. And I'm excited by the prospect that Resident Evil is kind of splitting now. Because this feels like Resident Evil 7 2 more than anything. Mm-hmm. And they just two years ago made Resident Evil 2 Remake. And I think it would be very smart and cool to have like two distinct series running alongside each other because resident evil 2 remake is my favorite game in the series and it was designed so well and i'm not going to go too deep into it because it's a 2019 game and i should review the (laughs) 2021 game but i love the idea that that kind of series exists and also we're able to have a game like resident evil village at the same time and i hope that they continue to expand both Mm mm-hmm yeah, on one hand, you have sort of the standard, like, third-person, like, tank controls, 
of resident of like resident evil two and three um and maybe four you know here's hoping for a four <laughs> remake and then hopefully yes i agree Yes, and then you kind of have the first person like Ethan Winter's story of seven and eight. Mm-hmm. So I agree. I think it's kind of nice to have those two sort of branches going at the same time. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's I don't care much for the Winter saga in a lot of senses because the whole point is that it's like kind of silly, silly and like <laughs> kind, kind of characterless on purpose. So like you can kind of impose yourself in the story. Um but I think if they continue this this winter saga, if you will, into Resident Evil, not nine or whatever they end up calling it, because mm-hmm. just to be clear, even though there is a V I I I in the title of this game, Capcom insists and will get angry if you call it Resident Evil Eight. So right, maybe they have an actual Resident Evil Eight in the works, and this was like a miss a misleading thing on purpose, which would be <laughs> That'd be wild it would be interesting yeah but i was very happy with this i look forward to what's next i'm glad that i played it um took me about eight hours to finish um wasn't a particularly difficult game there were a couple puzzles that had me stumped and a couple fights that took a little longer than they probably should have but like if you're looking for a challenge this might not be the place unless you want to play it on the unlockable very hard mode then it might actually become something very challenging but realistically i think most people coming to this game are looking for more environmental storytelling and and interesting monsters and such so i don't think that's mm-hmm. too big a concern i would agree so kelly i think this was a very great premiere episode yes do you have any closing thoughts my closing thoughts are that i'm very excited for e3 and that i can't wait to discuss it with you when the time comes in like three weeks yes i think realistically the three episodes or two or three whatever math is that are leading up to e3 will almost definitely end with 10 15 minutes of e3 discretion and i think Mm -hmm. tell me your thoughts on this kelly week before e3 we go through the news we go through what we've been talking what we've been playing maybe a little quickly and then second half of the podcast, E3 speculation. Oh, okay. Okay. I see your vision. And I am down. I'm excited for this. This was a great episode. I had a lot of fun. Thank you, everyone who's listening. I hope you enjoyed this first episode. We're going to keep at it. We are on Spotify now. This might honestly be on Google and Apple by the time you're listening, but if not, it will be soon. We'll be on all your platforms, on your phone, on your computer, probably on your TV. You Ooh. probably have Spotify on there, right? True. We're everywhere. You can't escape us. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, Daddy. <laughs> thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Kelly, for such an awesome episode. This was great. Yes, thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. Thanks for chatting. See y'all next week. See you next week.